tonight's subject is quite obviously a very, very important one indeed with a world surrounding us that at times can be an inhospitable wilderness and at others a jungle full of predators waiting to trap an unsuspecting passerby. Many parents strive to equip their children during their formative years with the skills necessary to take them successfully through life. Through those early years, as their children are growing, parents are patiently teaching, admonishing, showing a pattern of values and behaviour that they hope their offspring will emulate and develop further. Unfortunately, even through their best efforts, there are many failures, there are many heartaches. In Australia, as you may know, has one of the highest youth suicide rates in the world, especially amongst young men. The answer to how you can save your family is on the one hand extremely simple, and yet on the other hand it is very profound. And the answer is not found by many people, mainly because many people these days live each day as it comes and don't realise that there is definitely more to life if they would only take the time to search and look for those answers. And those who seriously search for solutions and questions and question their place and their purpose in this world will find their answers um, revealed in only one place, and that is in the Bible. So our first fundamental question tonight that we need to pose before going any further is this. From what are you trying to save your family? And many answers could be given, which could run along the lines of our opening statements. But I think that one thing that every parent wishes to save their children from is the finality of death, especially as we're currently ensconced within a COVID-19 pandemic. And there are many varied ways in which you can save people from things. As our chairman said, doctors try to save lives. People are saved from alcohol, from drugs, suicide and the like, but can anyone save themselves or, for that matter, their family from death? And I'm sure you realise that no one has this power. Who has the power over death if it's not a human? And obviously the answer to that is God. God has the power to save people from death. He is the only personage who has that power. So our next question is, how do we avail ourselves and our families of this power to save? Well, the Bible says, believe in the gospel. Believe in the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom of God. The Bible says, mould your character and way of life to emulate Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, devote yourself to fulfilling God's wishes and commands. And salvation will then be granted to you by God when his son returns to this earth. So that then is the simple answer to our first question. How do we save ourselves and our families? But what we want to do now is to show in some detail the profound way in which God has worked in the lives of past characters in the Bible. So that at the conclusion of our address tonight, having viewed these various examples, 
you may be able to clearly see just how it is that you can save your family and yourself. So as I said moments ago, belief in the gospel message is singly the most powerful tool to gaining salvation for you and your family. Without the knowledge and a belief in the gospel, the only hope for us is death and its finality. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it. So in this simple statement by Paul, belief in the gospel message is needed first before the power of God can be given in salvation. It is the primary aspect that is required by everyone. And this salvation is open to everyone, as the verse concludes, to the Jew first and then to the non-Jew, the Greek. And further, God isn't willing that anyone should perish. He isn't looking for wholesale death and destruction because he states in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And did you know that the Bible is the most widely published book in the world? But how many people actually read it? How many people actually understand what they read? And when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, how many people will be saved from death and given life eternal based on the correct knowledge of what they have read in the Bible? Well, one man, as we had in our opening reading, who will be raised and who will be given eternal life is the man Abram. And this man is central to the gospel message, as we shall see at the conclusion of our address. Not only did he save himself and his family from the world in which he lived, but he also provided a way in which future families from his time forward through history could be saved as well. So how did Abram save his family? Well, Joshua tells us in Joshua 24 verses 1 to 3 the following. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for the judges, for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. So Joshua here in chapter 24 is giving his final words of advice. And he firstly reminds the nation of Israel of their ancestor Abram, and the situation he was in before Almighty God called him to a high and privileged position. And you will notice there that they served other gods. That is, they were idol worshippers. They didn't serve the true and living God who dwells in heaven above. Instead, and archaeology vindicates this, the people of Ur of the Chaldees where Abram was born worshipped all manner of gods. Sin, Shema, Ishtar and a pantheon of others. And at this time in history, Ur was one of the most intellectual, social and highly civilised cities of the then known world. So it would have been the place for someone to bring up their family. But God appeared to Abram and he called him to something far better than what he had at that time. And Abram didn't hesitate. He didn't hang around and say to himself, well, everything I'll ever need is, is around here in Ur. 
whatever my children need. It's right here in earth. He listened to God. He left straight away and he journeyed to the land that God had promised him. And we read of that in chapter 11 of Genesis and verse 31. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. They came unto Haran and dwelt there. And there they stopped for a while. And it wasn't until Terah died that we have, verse, that we have chapter 12. And the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, or he had said, which is why they left Ur. But he appears to him again and reminds him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And so these words of promise to Abram form the foundation for how you can save yourself and your family. And there are two things to notice from verses 2 to 3. I will make of thee a great nation, which is the very first phrase. And in itself, it's not much, but you have to bear in mind that Abram was about 75 years of age. He had no children because his wife was barren. And as such, for Abram, it was a physical impossibility, a human physical impossibility for him to have children and to become a great nation. But God was going to work in his life to bring about offspring that would grow into a great nation. And the second thing is that in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Here is the hope contained for all families that are interested in saving themselves from death. And so in verses 4 to 6, as we read, Abram goes into the land of Canaan. And a result of this faithful action in verse 7, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And Abram, in response, builded an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So note those words, unto thy seed will I give this land. So it's to Abram's offspring, his descendants, his seed would be given this land, a safe place for them to dwell. And I just want you to recall that phrase, thy seed, because we'll come back right at the end. We go to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 13. Verse 14, the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And there's a few positive words in, that chap in those verses there. There's a repetition of the word I will three times. So the assuredness of God's promise was irrefutable. It would happen no matter what. And I also laboured the point of the seed. Verse 18, Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. And the land that is given to us is an extensive land, from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates. It's an immense tract of land, that, a land in which his seed 
would be safe, which they would dwell in and they would establish their lives. We come over to chapter 18. Chapter 18 of verse 17. And these promises in part, as we have said, were given to him because of his faithfulness. But we read in this little reference here, it was because of something else as well. So Genesis chapter 8 and verse 17, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So there was also the characteristic of Abraham that he would command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and to do judgment. And in the process of time, through the outworking of God's power, Abraham had a son Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and from Jacob came the twelve tribes, which we currently know as Israel today. So very simply, we see in terms of the life of Abraham as our first example, he obeyed God, he faithfully followed God's commandments, he trusted in God's unchangeableness, and he saved his family through his belief. We come forward from Genesis to Exodus chapter 1. We look at our second example of someone who saved their family and themselves. In the first five verses of chapter 1 of Exodus, we see that the, the 12 sons of Jacob, or Israel, grew and became a mighty nation. And under the hand of Joseph, if we're familiar with the story, they went through bondage and trial and then they came out the other side and they left the land of Egypt. There was a pharaoh who took the throne who didn't know about the special circumstances surrounding this nation and he made them to work very hard. He turned them into slaves. And it wasn't until God's people cried to him for salvation that God acted by sending those 12 plagues. And by the time we come to chapter 14, Israel had taken themselves from the Egyptians. They were caught between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. And we read some interesting words in verse 8 of, Genesis, of Exodus chapter 14. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and pursued after the children of Israel and went, and the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But... The Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea besides Pihahiroth before Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. So here we have Abraham's family. A few generations since, are they about to be wiped out? And the Lord's promise made null and void that his family would be saved. They cried out to Moses, verse 11, because there are no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Verse 13, Moses said unto them, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall show you this day. The Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more 
forever. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. So there's a few reasons why we read those verses. Verse 13, important, Moses said, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And those were our opening words from the book of Romans, weren't they? Paul said that the gospel was the power of God unto salvation. So Israel here had to rely on someone else, a greater power. And we made the earlier point that we can't save ourselves and we definitely can't save our children. We have to rely on a greater power, and that is the power of God alone. And the result of this spectacular miracle here in this time was that the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And because of that, the people feared the Lord and they believed the Lord and his servant Moses. But there was someone else who heard about these things. I want you to come to Joshua chapter 2. So Israel have crossed the, Jordan, uh, crossed the Red Sea. They've wandered for 40 years through the wilderness. And in Joshua chapter 2, they're on the very edge of entering to the land. Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So they come to a prostitute's house, a rather unlikely person to be interested in God, one would think. And her name by way of interest means arrogant or insolent and proud. And once again in human terms, a person whom we wouldn't automatically think that God would be interested in saving. And when the soldiers come to investigate and make a search for the intruders, she hides the two spies under stalks of flax in verse 6. But before she did that, there was a brief opportunity to speak to the spies. And what did she say? Verse 9. I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. And she actually uses there in verse 9 the name of God, Yahweh. I know that Yahweh hath given you the land. So here's someone in the land of Israel, as it became to be known, 40 years after Israel left Egypt, but she knows the name of God. And she has no hesitation in using it. For, she goes on in verse 10, we have heard how Yahweh, the Lord, dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, immediately, in other words, our hearts did melt, neither did there, did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For Yahweh, your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. So this is really a confession of belief in the God of Israel, the God of Abram, over the God that might have ruled in the city in which she lived. Verse 12, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by Yahweh, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token that 
Ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So she knew instinctively that Jericho, with its mighty walls, was no match for the might of the God of Israel. And so she asked that she be saved when they come to destroy the city. Well, what did she have to do in order to be saved? Verse 18 Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. But whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. Verse 21, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and straight away she bound the scarlet line in the window. She immediately acted on what was told to her. There was no hesitation at all. She believed and she acted. Was she saved? Chapter 6. And verse 25. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. But she hid the spies. She believed the stories. She trusted in the power of God. She immediately set that red cord in the window and it saved all of her family. And the same can happen to you and your family. We come to the New Testament in Luke chapter 9. And in Luke chapter 9, he's, he called his 12 disciples together, gave them authority and power over devils and to cure diseases. And verse 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God, that is the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor script, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And his disciples did exactly as he said. And they departed, verse 6, and went through the towns, preaching the gospel, the good news, or the glad tidings of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, healing everywhere. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus asked them to do exactly the same thing. Though this time their efforts weren't to be focused solely in Israel, but they were to spread the message, the wonderful message of the gospel hope, to the then known world. And his command is in Mark 16. After he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. So the clear command to the disciples was preach the gospel. Who believes it? and is baptised, shall be saved. And therein, ladies and gentlemen, leaves the, lies the answer to tonight's title. A clear knowledge of the gospel is essential to, 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 to saving yourself and to saving your family. Without it, we will all die. 
And so the 12 apostles went forth. We have an example in Acts 8, 12. But when the people to whom Philip was preaching, once they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised. Belief comes first. Baptism upon a true knowledge of the gospel comes second. Acts 18, verse 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed, and they were baptised. So once again, we have a belief followed by baptism. These two words or aspects go hand in hand together. Belief must go before baptism if salvation is to be given to anyone by God. Come forward to Acts chapter 2. And it's the day of Pentecost. Apostle Peter stands up before the crowd that's gathered on that day. And he proclaims an address aimed at pricking the conscience of those gathered there. And the crux of his address is seen in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. But verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? A very good question. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So they were pricked. The people listening were pricked in their hearts. And the Greek word means to pierce, to pain the mind sharply, to agitate it vehemently. So the people in listening, their consciences were affected by Peter's words. It made them question what they are doing, what they had been doing in their lives to that point in time. And they asked what they needed to do from this point on. And Peter, as we read there in verse 38, says, repent. And the word repent means to change one's mind and purpose. And this change is always for the better and denotes a change of moral thought and reflection. Not merely to repent of nor to forsake sin, but to change one's mind and apprehension regarding it, hence to repent in a moral and religious sense with an overwhelming feeling of remorse and sorrow. A U-turn of your life. In other words, it's a complete and it's a genuine change to following God's ways and not following your own. Not following what we naturally want to do or desire to do. And then Peter says in verse 38, be baptised. A complete immersion in water. And W. Vine says, baptism consisting of the processes of immersion, submersion and emergence. From bapto to dip is used of A, John's baptism, B, Christian baptism. To baptise, primarily a frequentative form of bapto, to dip was used among the Greeks to signify the dyeing of a garment or the drawing of water by dipping a vessel into another. So when we look at it, we've got a plain white t-shirt about to go into dye. The t-shirt, plain white, goes into the dye. That's when baptism takes place and it comes out not plain white t-shirt but a nice 
dyed colour, whatever you wanted to put into it. That is the practical outworking of baptism. You go into the water, you figuratively die, you come out as a new person given to following God's commands. The Greeks called sunken vessels, a vessel that had been baptised. And you can't put cucumbers into a liquid like vinegar and not have a change. So Nicander, an ancient philosopher, said that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped or baptised into boiling water and then baptised, baptizo, in the vinegar solution. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution. But the first is temporary. The second, the actual act of baptising the vegetable, produces a permanent change. And in verse 39, Peter says that the promise, this promise, the remission of sins, is to you and to your family and to all that are afar off. So how can you save yourself and your family, ladies and gentlemen? Well, it's by changing your life, by being transformed, by transforming your moral and your mental characteristics to follow God's commandments. And Peter says at the end of verse 40, save salvation, save yourselves from this untoward generation, this crooked and perverse generation. And isn't that what we need to be doing in this day and age? Verse 41, and with many other words he did testify and exhort, oh, sorry, verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptised, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Saving of yourself and your family. Acts chapter 10. Who else save themselves and their family? Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. So he was a Roman. Had nothing to do with the Jews at all. But verse 2, he was devout. He was one that feared God with all his house which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. So here was a Roman, a Roman army person given to killing. So he's basically as far from a Jew as you could get. But remember, God is not willing from Second Peter that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the gospel if they want to be changed. So note those positive characteristics in verse 2. He was devout. He feared God with all his house. He gave money to people and he prayed to God all the time. The second point is the one that we wish to concentrate on from now on. His fearful and his reverent attitude towards God, somewhat similar to Rahab in the time of Joshua, influenced his whole household. Verse 25. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together, obviously, of his household. Across the page in verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptised, which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptised in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. And so God allowed Gentiles to also have a wonderful opportunity of salvation. He was devout, he feared God, he gave money to the poor, he prayed to God all the time, he believed the gospel message, he was given the Holy Spirit, he was baptised and he saved his family, all that were in his household. And so the Gentiles were allowed into this wonderful hope. Chapter 16. Verse 9. Paul's in the middle of his preaching effort. A vision appeared to Paul in verse 9 in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And so Paul and his companions go into that part of the world and they preach the gospel, verse 13. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So basically she believed what Paul was saying. And when she was baptised and her household, she besought us, saying, if, we have judged, if ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So Lydia, again a Gentile, heard Paul's words. Her heart was opened by God to receive those words. She attended to them and the effect of those words on Lydia was that she and her household, her family, were saved through that belief and that baptism. So again, belief in the gospel message followed by baptism reveals the way in which one's family can be saved. But if we were to read on, the people of that city weren't terribly happy with Paul. And in verse 23 and verse 24, they grabbed them and threw them in the prison. Made their feet fast in the stocks, verse 24. And at midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas are praying and they're singing psalms. There's an earthquake. All the doors of the prison fly open. And in verse 27, the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And then he said in verse 30, verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, let us loose. Don't tell the authorities that, you know, you've let us go. No, they said, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe the gospel, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Verse, the end of verse 32, to all that were in his house. Verse 33, he and all his. Verse 34, they rejoiced believing in God with all his house and he was baptised. So he viewed the attitude of Paul and Silas under trial, their complete faith and belief in God. He served God by washing their stripes and he was saved himself and his family by believing that gospel message and by being baptised. 
and turn the page to Acts chapter 18 for our final example tonight. Acts 18 verse 1, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Verse 5, When Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So he's preaching the gospel. Verse 7, he departed thence, entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue. Why? He believed on the Lord with all his house, but he was a Jew. Surely he would believe God anyway. But he believes on the Lord with all his house. He believes the message that Paul and Timothy and the others were preaching. And not only did he believe, but it says that he believed on the Lord with all his house. That's his family, ladies and gentlemen. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptised. So we've got the same message, we've got the same solution, the same answer to the problem of how we can save ourselves and our family. It's firstly, belief in the gospel message. To completely change our way of life, to follow God's commands. And secondly, to be baptised into the saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, to patiently wait for the return of him to this earth. So we said at the outset of our address, there is a big responsibility on parents to do the right thing by their children, to bring them up proper, with the end result being a saving of their family for many generations. But that's only possible for belief through repentance and through baptism. So a long quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9, which we're not going to read all the way. But I've highlighted the words there that Moses says, which I command thee, thou and thy son, that's your family, and thy son's son, that's your extended family, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. So Moses says, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. So there is a solution to how we can save ourselves and our family. We need to teach them diligently to those in our house. Proverbs 6, verses 20 to 23. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart. Tie them upon thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk to thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction of the way of life. So in this darkened world, spiritually, the law of God is a lamp, and it's a light. It's a beacon to show the way through. As we read earlier about Abram, I know him, says God, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. And that way of the Lord is to do justice and to do judgment. So your personal example, ladies and gentlemen, is what your children will follow. If you believe with all your heart and strive to follow God's ways, 
your children will be blessed as well. So the Bible reveals quite simply how you can save yourself and your family. The gospel is the fundamental foundation stone upon which salvation can be given by God. And even the man in our first example believed it. Another quote, Proverbs 20 verse 7, The just man walketh in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. Psalm 112, 1-2, Praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments, his seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. And so we come back to that um, aspect that I asked you to remember at the beginning. All families on the earth will be blessed if they associate with Abraham. And this is based on the principle of faith, of belief, of faith to know what God has stated in the Bible that he will surely accomplish. And it says there in Galatians, through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So if we believe and we're baptised into Christ, then we are part of Abraham's seed. And just as another example in conclusion, by faith Noah, there'd be no rain on the earth at all. But God said, I want you to build an ark because I'm bringing a flood on this earth. Now I could have laughed and said, I'm not going to do that. I could say it's going to take me about 120 years to build it. But being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, he prepared an ark to the saving of his family. And of all that, of the thousands, millions, however many were on the earth at that time, eight souls were saved by Noah being faithful at that time. He, himself, his sons and his sons' wives. So likewise for us, ladies and gentlemen, if we have faith that God will raise Abram to enter the land with his seed, with his descendants, then we can be assured too that if we believe, if we are baptised, and we follow his commandments, then we will be saved with his family. Paul goes on in the Galatians, he said, Now to Abram and his seed, where the promises made, he saith not unto seeds as of many, but as one unto thy seed, which is Christ. So the promise really was not made to Abram, but was made to his seed, the Lord Jesus Christ to himself. And this is how Abram will be saved, along with his family, through the actions of of the Lord Jesus Christ. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has, have been baptised into Christ, have put on Christ. Because we've changed ourselves like that cucumber going into the vinegar, we have made that transformation. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if then we are Christ, then are we Abraham's seed and heirs according to that promise. So, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible has plainly revealed to us all tonight through the same lesson, through multiple examples, that salvation comes through listening, believing, and hearing the gospel message. That gospel message preached to Abraham affected not only him, but also his entire family. And we saw from our spiritual examples that those who heard the gospel 
reacted immediately in that they believed with all their heart. We said that belief in the gospel was the very first step. Secondly, they understood the need to repent, to change their ways for the better, to become godly by following his commands. They saw the vital need to be baptised into the saving name of Christ. And then all they had to do was to patiently wait for the Lord's return. And this will, reward will come when he comes to the earth. We don't know when that exact moment will be, but the exciting signs which are happening as we speak tonight in the world all around us, the fear, the increasing anxiety, the distress of nations, the uncertainty of what tomorrow will bring, all herald the nearness of the Lord's return as never has been seen before. So it is up to you to save yourself and to save your family by looking into the gospel message and being baptised.